Morning. This Sunday we have the story of the prodigal son, or sometimes called the lost son. Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32. Such a wonderful parable, certainly one of the most loved and treasured with good reasons in all the gospel. Also one that is very difficult to understand for those who don't understand the gospel, who don't know Jesus Christ and his love. Outside of the Christian faith, the probably the most well-known parable of Jesus is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan makes sense to earthly-minded people. You should do good and be good uh, even to your enemy. That's uh, that's the law speaking, the law that is written into man's heart from the beginning of the world. And so that parable makes sense even to those who are outside of Christianity. But the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, is one that simply makes no sense to those who don't know Jesus. Uh, they're looking for law in it, and it is pure gospel, the love of God even for sinners. Law and gospel, we see in this parable a warning against two different types of attitude, both of which are equally sinful. On the one hand, you have the wanton, sinful wastefulness of the younger sin, which leaves God in his word and goes out in the world in order to enjoy every kind of sin and every pleasure of the flesh, which is clearly contrary to God's word, and we see the result of that. On the other hand, you have the attitude of the older son, the pharisaical, puritanical attitude, which despises any laughter, any joy, any fun, which doesn't see God as a God who pours out his blessings upon mankind, but rather sees God as a taskmaster who gives his law, and I have to keep every one of those laws, and then I'm a good person if I keep those laws, and looks down and despises others because it thinks of itself as so much better. Both are sinners to the heart because all of us are sinners to the heart and both represent something in ourselves we're not one or the other sometimes we want to think well am i the the first son or the second son but we're not one or the other both attitudes live in our sinful hearts and we go back and forth between the two and we have to be look on the lookout for the sinfulness of both attitudes but god who is enriched in mercy the father in the parable reaches out to both sons offering grace forgiveness and every blessing to both of his sons and God, to all sinners, regardless of which particular sin or which particular attitude we might be struggling with or doing at the moment. Luke chapter 15, we'll start with verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. It's often said of this parable that the older son represents the Pharisees. And of course, that's true to some extent. Certainly Jesus meant to reveal to the Pharisees the prejudices and sins of their own hearts. In truth, though, both sons are not representation of a specific group. You can't say this son represents this group and that son represents that group or this person is that son or that person is that son. But the truth is that both sons represent a wrong attitude, two separate wrong attitudes, but attitudes that exist in the hearts of all sinners, including us. The older brother is that self-righteousness that looks down on his younger brother and complains that it's not fair, I deserve this or that from God instead of recognizing his own sinfulness. The younger brother is that ungrateful, wanton, prodigal, prodigal means wasteful or reckless spending of money, which despises God's grace and God's gifts and uh, desires instead the worthless things of this world and goes out to revel in them. However, we're going to see that 
neither one, neither the older son nor the younger son, values God's gifts. At heart, both covet after the things of this world and don't really care about the greater gifts of God. Now, they respond differently to that coveting, but the hearts of both are clearly set on the things of this world. We're going to see that in the parable. It's easy to see how that's true of the younger son. The elder son, you may miss it at first, but it's definitely there. We're going to talk about that later. And so really what's at the heart of the problem for both sons is that they do not value the gifts of their father, the gifts of God, but instead their hearts are set on the sinful things of this world. Verse 12, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. The... This was not uncommon for younger sons to ask for their portion while their father was still alive in order that they could establish themselves somewhere else. Remember that the older son was the one who received the main house and the main property. And if the older son wanted to start a family, well, he could start and, and they could live in that house and he could take care of his father when his father got older. But if the younger son wanted to start a family, wanted to establish himself, he kind of needed to go someplace else build a house, you know, start on a new property because the house would have been given to the, the older. Not that he couldn't have done it in the house, but if he wanted to be separate. So it's not unheard of for younger sons to ask their father for their inheritance. However, it was entirely up to the father whether he wanted to divide that inheritance. It was his property. It was his to keep until he died. It was perfectly reasonable for him to say, no, you can have it when I die. Uh, and so what the son does here, he doesn't just ask, does he? But he rather demands. It's not a question. It's not, would you please? It's give this to me. Also, the younger son is not asking for this because he wants to go and work and establish his farm and, and raise a family. But he's doing it so that for a very sinful reason, so that he can go out and waste what his father has given to him. So it's a very, very sinful attitude on the part of the younger son, both in the way that he asks this of his father and his reason for it. The elder son would have received the double portion, so the way the inheritance worked in ancient Israel, as well as, as, well as in m many parts of the ancient world, was that however many sons you had, you divided your inheritance into that many plus one. So in this case, he has two sons, so he would have divided his inheritance into three parts, the older son would have gotten two-thirds. The younger son would have gotten one-third. If he had five sons, he would divide his inheritance into six parts. The older son would have gotten two-sixths or one-third. And then each of the other sons would have gotten um, one-fifth or sorry, one-sixth. If he had five sons, he'd divide it in six parts. Uh, each of the younger sons would have gotten one-sixth. The elder son would have gotten two-sixths, which is the same as, as one-third. So however many sons you have, you divide it into that many plus one. The older son gets double what the younger sons uh, got. And so that's what would have happened here. The younger son would have gotten one-third of his father's inheritance. The older son would have gotten two-thirds. Verse 13. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with pride prodigal living. Jesus emphasizes the younger son's attitude in being eager to leave. It does not take him long to take the money and go. To take everything his father had given him, he gathered all together and he left. This was obviously his plan from the beginning. This wasn't something that he decided later. He asked for the inheritance in order that he may leave. He wants to get away from his father. He wants to get out from under his thumb, so to speak, and live it up. Uh, notice he goes to a far country as well. This may have been 
to definitely get far away from his father so there's no way his father could find him or, or tell him he's wrong there also may have been some shame at his attitude at his sinfulness in this that he wants to be far away from anyone who knows his father so that no one is thinking oh you're that man's son and, and this is the way you're living or, or so that no stories get get back to his father and so there is some indication of of shame at what he's doing the recognition that what he is doing is wrong here but he goes and he does it anyway prodigal as we as we mentioned before means wasteful living he's not just uh, paying for his expenses but he's just he's throwing the money away uh in the way he's using it verse 14 but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want in one hand the famine maybe isn't so necessary you might say it maybe isn't so necessary for the parable he's wasted his money he's without because he wasted his money but the famine does bring home an important point and that is that very often people who are wasteful in the gifts that God gives to them have excuses. So they end up in poverty, but they always have an excuse, right? It's not my fault, uh, you know, this bad thing or that bad thing happened to me. And so the son, the younger son, may easily have used the famine as an excuse. Well, it's not my fault. I had a plan. Maybe he did have a plan. Maybe he had a plan for once all the money was gone. But the famine changed that, right? Uh, his, his plan fails because of the famine. So on the one hand, uh, when this happens, people find something else to blame. It's not my fault. It's a famine's fire. It's not my fault that you know, I got sick. But the son wouldn't have been in this position if he hadn't left his father. He wouldn't have been in this position if he hadn't wasted what his father had given to him. And so the famine is we can assume sent by God in order to reveal the sinfulness of the son in order that he might repent and come back to the father. And very often those bad things that happen that people complain about, it's not my fault this or that happened, are a call to repentance to those people. Uh, God allows things to happen to that. When the Psalms remind us that the Lord saves us from the snare of the fowler. The fowler is someone who catches birds, right? So uh, the idea there is you're a bird. The fowler has these traps out. You don't see these traps. You land in them by accident and you're caught. Well, those who live in Christ and in his word, the Lord protects us from those unseen traps. We have confidence. He is our refuge. But if we leave God, if we run away from God and his word like this son does, we very quickly run into those unseen traps. Yes, the son didn't know that the famine was coming. But if he hadn't been so sinful as to run away from his father and waste all his living, it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, he would have been protected in God's grace and in God's gifts. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. Verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Notice the difference between the loving father and this stranger of some foreign country. The younger servant himself in a minute here is going to remember how his father takes care of even his servants and how his father is loving even to his hired servants in comparison to this man who doesn't care about this son at all, who sends him out into the, to the, feed, into the field to feed the swine but won't even let him eat the food of the swine. And so often, and this is a perfect picture of Satan and e even of this world, uh, that when we are in Christ, the world tempts us away trying to convince us that they are more loving even than christ that we're gonna have more fun with them that it's going to be better 
But uh, once we've left Christ and once they've kind of gotten everything out of us that they want, once Satan has kind of gotten out of us what he wants, uh, once sinful friends have kind of gotten out of us, uh, out of us what, what they want, they don't care about us anymore. This is in stark contrast to the father who even when his son has so severely sinned against him and treated him so badly and comes back uh, in rags. Nevertheless, the father's love has not faltered or failed. Uh, there's, there's just an incredible difference here between this master that this, this son ends up serving and his father. And that's what we're going to see here in a second, verses uh, 17, 18, and 19. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It is so often the case that we need to be brought very low indeed before our eyes are opened to the truth of what sinners we truly are. This son thought to take advantage of his father's mercy. You know, he he took the inheritance from his father. He may have even been laughing at his father in within himself when he did it. Uh, very often the people of this world, our sinful nature, takes advantage of the mercy of others and it even laughs at them that their mercy is so great that we can so easily take advantage of them. And it seems likely this son was doing the same thing. Nevertheless, when he has brought low, what a privilege and a grace it is that he knows his father's love and mercy. He's no longer laughing at that mercy, but desiring it. He's no longer mocking his father's mercy and despising the love that he had in his father's house, but he now desires it greatly. And so often when we are brought up in the faith and in the truth of God's word, uh, we, we despise it. We don't appreciate what we have there. We don't appreciate the love that God has shown us through Christ Jesus. And we may even despise, mock it, and leave it altogether. But having been brought low, having been brought down by our sins, we look back, uh, look up to that love of God and greatly desire it again. And the wonderful news is, as we're going to find out here in a minute, that God is waiting for us. He's more than willing to restore that love to us and restore us to the position as his sons. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. God is more ready to forgive than we are to ask for forgiveness. Uh, God's forgiveness is right there before the son even asks for it. This is often called the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, prodigal means wasteful. But sometimes it has also been called the parable of the prodigal father. The son wastes his father's money, but the father extravagantly spends his mercy and his love, giving his son not only forgiveness that he doesn't deserve, but giving it in abundance, giving it extravagantly. It has been suggested also that the father was watching for his son, else why would he have seen him from afar off? And certainly that's possible. Certainly whether the, the parable implies that the father was on the watch for his son or not, uh, definitely the father was hoping, waiting, and watching for his son in his heart. 
and goes out to greet him as soon as he sees him coming back. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his handle and on his hand, sorry, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. All three pieces of clothing, all three articles of clothing that are mentioned here highlight and underscore the fact that this man was restored to full sonship. He comes to the father knowing that what he's done is so wrong that he doesn't deserve to be his son anymore, asking only for the scraps. We heard the... We heard the Canaanite woman saying even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table. And that's all the son is asking for, just even the scraps. And yet God responds with such great mercy that he restores him to full sonship, not just as a servant or as a slave in his house. The garment was something that would have been worn only for special occasions, only for a festival. Uh, The richest most expensive garment the father can find in the house that's what he puts on him it indicates that he's the favored guest uh, that the party is for him that he is the son of his father once again rings were not worn by slaves or by bond servants rings were only worn by free men and so again the ring is put on his hand indicating that he is a free man a son of his father and not a slave the same thing with sandals it was actually illegal by law for slaves to wear sandals they had to remain barefoot I don't know, but apparently that was the law. And so even the putting of the sandals on his feet was an indication this was a free man, again, not a servant. Every article of clothing Jesus mentions reinforces that the son is fully restored, not just a servant, but a true son. And so we are, through Jesus Christ, true sons of the Father. We are not slaves to God, but free in Christ, as Paul reminds us. Verses 25 to 28. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. The the house, the mansion that they lived in would probably have been in the city. They probably had to go out of the city to the fields that they farmed. So the fields may have been a little ways away. So it's not that odd that the older son doesn't know what's going on in the house. It's not kind of the way that we think of it where the farmhouse is, you know, right in the middle of the farm. But very likely the the, the house was in the city and the uh, fields were, you know, outside of the, of the city. So he doesn't know what's happening until he comes and nears the house. But then he, he sees and he hears. And notice that he's angry and he will not go in. But the father comes out to him. So notice in both cases, in the case of the younger son and in the case of the older son, the father goes out. It is the father's mercy which reaches out to the sinner. The sinner because of his enmity, his wrath. We see that in the older son. He's angry against God. Uh, Because of his enmity, his wrath against God, the sinner cannot come into God. We are at war with God. We would never choose to do that, just like this older son doesn't. But God, who is rich in mercy, comes out to us. He reaches out to the sinner, both to the younger son and to the older So he answered and said to the father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you have never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You'll probably have at least one student ask you, well, what's a harlot? So good luck with that. Maybe think of it ahead of time, how you can answer that question without being too graphic. But notice how the older son, although indeed he's obeying the father, where is his heart at? He's jealous of the younger son. He's jealous that the younger son got to live this prodigal life and now is welcomed back into the family. Maybe he's even thinking, well, fine, I'll go out and waste all my inheritance and then just come back and be accepted back in and, and, and get a party and all that. Why not? Uh, and so notice that even though the older son stays at home and outwardly does the will of his father, where is his heart at? His heart is seeking after coveting that same sinful lifestyle that the younger man had. Jesus responds, all that I have is yours. The son had received his, his inheritance. The father had divided all that he had. He'd given two thirds of it to the older son, one third to the younger son. So everything that the father had had already been given to the older son. The father is implying here that if you wanted to take a fatted calf and make merry with your friends, why didn't you do that? Uh, it's as much yours as is mine. You could have done that at any point, at any time. The elder son has this attitude that assumes he will please the father with this austere living. But in point of fact, the father was happy for him to, to make merry with his friends. And so we sometimes, too, we sometimes think that what will please our heavenly father if we have this austere outward living, this puritanical living. But God has richly blessed us and he wants us to enjoy the gifts that he has given to us. Uh, he wants us to, you know, have fun times with our friends and with our family. Uh, Martin Luther used to get his family together and they would sing and, and do all kinds of fun things. That's not a, it's not a bad thing to do. We're, we're not pleasing our father by refraining from those things. Although he wants us to do it without sin. So he doesn't want us to go out and get drink and, um, you know, go to the adult places, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. He doesn't want that kind of party to be sure, but to enjoy the gifts that he's given to us within reason, to enjoy them responsibly, and to take some of the money he's given to us and go on a a, a vacation to Florida or, or someplace else, that's perfectly within within reason. That's God gives us his gifts so in order that we may enjoy them. And so a real part of the problem here is this attitude of the older son that, oh, I'm going to refrain from any, any use of, of God's gifts at all for any joyful thing. And then that's going to please the father. The older son has so much. And that's another thing that the father emphasizes in this, in this parable. The older son has so much that the younger son does not. All that I have is yours. The older son has a deep and lengthy relationship with his father. He's been living with him all this time while the younger son was out wasting his living. Uh, he had all this time with his father. He has the trust and the respect of his father uh, he he manages the farm he works the farm all that the younger son has is one goat and one night of partying that's the only thing the father has given to the younger son so far the older son is jealous but he fails to see and to appreciate and to understand what he truly has the greater gifts are not the party are not the the wasteful living it's not going out and living it up but the true tr the true gifts of god is that relationship that this older son has with his father uh, that he can walk with him anytime that he's at 
spent all these years with him, that he has all the gifts of his father, and that he's been with him for all these years. These things are so much more important and such a greater gift than the, the pleasures of this world. But again, you notice, notice that the older son, both, both sons, their hearts are set on the things of the world. The younger son goes out and enjoys them. The older son refrains from it, but he's jealous that the younger son gets to do it. And so at heart, even though they both respond very differently to that covetousness in their heart, at, at the heart of the parable, the sons are really the same. They both covet the things of the world, and that leads them uh, to these wrong attitudes. He too wants a prodigal lifestyle that his brother ran away to. He wants the party. He thinks it's unfair that his brother gets a party. He under, fails to understand and appreciate how much better what he has is. And so whenever we fail to understand and appreciate the gifts of God, to appreciate God himself, to rejoice in his love, and we think that the greater thing is the sinfulness of this world, we're falling into one of these two traps. However we respond to it, whether we respond to it with the, the purita puritanical, pharise pharisaical living, of the Puritans and the Pharisees, or whether we respond to it in the sinfulness of the younger son. In either case, uh, in our heart, we are sinning, coveting the things of this world and responding inappropriate to God. Nevertheless, God, who is rich in mercy, reaches out to us with his love and his grace. He finds us when we have fallen away from him, whether it's because we've gone away or whether it's because we're standing outside the door refusing to come in, the Father reaches out to us in his love and in his mercy and welcomes us back into his home. The Lord bless your Sunday school lesson and be with you. And as always, let me know if you have any questions.